Let's bring you God's word. Um, We are continuing our series in Colossians, and we're uh, sort of around halfway through. We're in chapter three, so please do uh, make your way there. We've just got four verses, a very short passage, but some incredible uh, truths in there. And I just want to ask a question at the outset, just to get us thinking. And the question is, who are you? Who are you? Delia Smith asked a similar question a few years ago. It was, where are you to the Norwich fans? But the question today to, to consider is, who are you? Now, maybe it depends on who's asking. Maybe you're at a party and someone you know, wants to know who you are. You might give your name. You might give the job that you do. Uh, you might give your family. You know, if you've got kids or uh, a partner, you might just give people a bit of context. If social media are asking, you might be putting, thinking you know, a bit harder about it, putting your best person forward. Like, who actually do I want to be? I'm going to put that forward to that question. If it's a job interview, you might put yourself forward in ways that maybe are not that true. You, know, you might just, just sort of push the truth a little bit, actually make yourself look a little bit better than you actually are. So the question, or the answer to the question, who are you, depends on who is asking. But knowing who you are changes everything about how you live your life. Okay? If you think you're a failure, for example, then that's going to impact how you live your life. You're going to live that story out. If you think, on the other hand, you're the best thing since sliced bread, then that's going to affect your social interactions as well. But knowing who you are affects your your mind, your heart, your actions, how you relate to other people. Now, our culture tells us, if you want to find out who you are, look inside yourself. Look inside yourself. The world says, define yourself however you want to. You call the shots. You define yourself. Truth is relative. Be whoever you want to be. And so what happens on the back of that? What happens on the back of schools teaching that, education establishments, universities, is that we end up with a whole generation of people just not knowing who on earth they are. What a huge amount of pressure to put upon a five, six-year-old. Just be whoever you want to be. You define it. This question is so pertinent to our culture. And I want to put it to you, and God God wants to put it to us, that the best place to work out who we are is to ask the person, the God who created us. The one who made us. The one who knows us intimately and also knows why he made us. Okay? He knows who we are. So it's good to ask him. Let's read the passage. So chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. We're going to find out who we are, especially as followers of Christ. But if you don't know Jesus, we're going to find out who we were created to be as well. Verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. 
For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's read that again. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the encouragement here from Paul is to know who you are and live who you are. Know who you are and live who you are. And we're going to see this in a few ways. We're going to see that we were created to reign and rule with Christ, that followers of Jesus have been raised with Christ, and then some really intensely practical application to set our hearts on things above and to set our minds on things above. So first of all, created to rule with Christ. It says there that we died in, in, well, it says there, yep, we've been raised with Christ. Slightly earlier in Colossians, it says that we died with Christ. Christ is seated now at the right hand of God, and so are we. Elsewhere in Scripture, it says that we are seated in heavenly places. It's a reality now for followers of Jesus, those who have trust in Jesus, that we're, we are here in bodily form, but we're also seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. So he is ruling and his followers rule with him now. And this is who we were created to be. This is how God made us. If you're struggling to ask that question, who are you? God says, you are my children and I created you to rule and reign with me, to be my representatives on earth. We see that in Genesis, right at the start of the, right at the, start of the story. Chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue, another ruling over word, bringing order. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So Adam and Eve, men and women, given leadership responsibility to rule over creation, to bring order to the created order, to subdue it. Well, the question is, how did Adam and Eve get on with that? For those who know the story, creation story, they'll know that they didn't get on too well. Adam and Eve didn't want to rule under Jesus. Instead, they wanted to rule themselves, call the shots themselves. They ultimately wanted to be God in their lives. Let's read that in Genesis chapter 3. Just have a look out for the temptation that they gave themselves into. 
So it says, chapter 3, verse 1, Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, Well, we may eat from fruit, uh, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the snake said to the woman, for God, sh- God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. There's that temptation in uh, verse 5 that Satan brings to Adam and Eve. You will be like God. You will be like God. They gave in to that temptation. And isn't that often just how we live our lives? Don't we so often just want to call the shots? Define what's right and wrong. Call the shots. Decide what we're going to do with our lives rather than taking on board what God says about who we are and how we're to live our lives. As a result of Adam and Eve's decision, death came into the world. We see that in Genesis 2. And we can actually only regain our position as those who were created to rule and reign with Christ by being in Christ. Okay, by being saved from being in Adam to being in Christ. We read that in Ephesians chapter 2. It says that all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Can't we relate to that? Just gratifying our, our flesh, our desires, our wants. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So there was a, there's a consequence for our sin. Verse 4, but because of God's great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. By God's grace, he's raised us up with Christ and we are seated with him. So it's through Jesus Christ that the, the, this whole disorder that comes about through Adam and Eve's sin and our subsequent turning away from God, it's through Christ the order is brought back out of that chaos. We make a terrible job of ruling our lives, ruling over the world, ruling over other things. I won't mention any particular rulers in our country at the moment, but we do a terrible job. In Christ, order is brought out of chaos. We are able to rule and reign Jesus' way. That's who we were created to be, and God wants us to turn from our own way of doing things and turn to Christ to receive forgiveness for our sin, for our rebellion. 
Okay, so that's to be in Christ is a wonderful reality. It's a wonderful reality that um, that if you start, if you put your trust in Jesus, that is who you are. You died with Christ. So when he was on the cross, you died with him there. When he was raised to new life, you were raised to new life with him. These are lofty, glorious truths. When he ascended to the right hand side of the Father, you ascended to the right hand of the Father with him. We are privileged people as Christians. <laughs> privileged people. But there's a way of living that union with Christ out. And Paul gives us two ways which we'll look at. The first is to set our hearts on things above. And the second is to set our minds on things above. So let's take each in turn. Firstly, set your hearts on things above. So our compulsion is to set our hearts on earthly things. I don't know what your thought life is like. I don't know what you're thinking about most of the time. When you've got a few quiet moments, what are you daydreaming about? What does your brain go to? But we seem to have this compulsion to focus on often ourselves, earthly things. It might be... um, It might be paying the bills. It might be, have I got enough money this month? It might be thinking about health issues to do with yourself or family or friends. It might be a whole host of different things. But our compulsion is to set our hearts on earthly things. And I think this comes from one main main lie that we believe. And I think it's that we believe that earthly things are going to ultimately satisfy us. I think that's why our hearts are so caught up with things. And I think the most obvious, uh, the, or the, the place this is most obvious in life, is when life is really hard. So when you just get thrown a curveball, something happens in life, maybe you lose your job, or you've just had a really hard day, or um, something's happened to you or a family member, like life is hard, where do you turn to? Where do you turn to? Do you turn to chocolate? Okay. Tough day. Get to the cup. Where's the biscuit tin? You know, just a bit, just a moment of pleasure, please. Do we turn to other things like Netflix, binge watching something, a bit of escapism? You know, maybe you're running life at just full pelt and you just think, oh, I just need to crash now. Just going to watch some stuff. Do we turn to alcohol or drugs or sex? Do we turn to things that we, th- we think are going to satisfy us? And they do in a moment. Don't get me wrong. Many of these things, good things that God has created. We hope they will dull our pain, make our life more bearable, give us satisfaction, give us freedom, give us hope. But when they take God-like status in our lives, when we can't say no to them, That's when we have a problem. Jesus says these words, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And he's describing these things that in our life that will promise life. They'll promise fullness. They'll promise everything. 
but they're just like a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What a wonderful promise. Life is only found in Jesus. And so this verse about setting our hearts on things above, it's, it's, it's convincing our heart and setting our hearts on the life giver, Jesus himself. It's trusting that he is the one who brings life, eternal life, fullness of life, true satisfaction, that a good meal or a good relationship or good food, whatever, good drink, actually needs to roll up in worship to Jesus, the one who gave it to us in the first place. Sometimes we can find this hard to set our hearts on things above. I just want to remind us that as followers of Jesus, he's given us new hearts, we are new creations with new desires and affections for Jesus. So think of your heart and your heart's affections. Think of your heart like a fire. It's that time of year, isn't it? Just get the, if you've got a fire, get the fire lit. Get warm around the, high, but our, uh, around the fire. But our hearts are like fires. They need attention. They need attention. You've got to get the kindling, you've got to get the small branches, slightly bigger logs, then the, the bigger logs on top, but you've, you, can't, you light it. You can't then just leave it unless you're an absolute ninja. I can never just leave it, okay? I've got to keep my eye on it because otherwise it's going to go out. It's against me. I've got to keep that fire lit. You keep going back to it, keep stoking it, make sure it's got enough airflow, etc., etc. Our hearts are like that. We've got to stoke the affections of our hearts. We've got to be intentional about that. We can do that in a number of ways. We can uh, verbalize our worship so we can sing, spend time singing. I encourage you to do that daily. Get into a, a quiet room in the house and sing. Express your worship and devotion to Jesus. It stokes the affections of the heart, bits of kindling. Put a worship playlist on, get on Spotify and sing, listen, stoke those affections. Let me encourage you to daydream about what life will be like in the new heavens and the new earth. For me, that stokes my affections for Jesus. Just daydreaming about it. It encourages me. It makes me think about who Jesus is and how great he is and how good he is. There's lots of different ways. I mean, next week, uh, Jamie's going to be preaching. We're going to be looking at what it looks like to put to death what is earthly and to put on the new self. That's part of stoking those affections for the heart. It's taking hold of what Jesus has done for us, putting on the new self. That helps us with our heart's affections. So that's the heart. It's that wellspring of life. You've got to feed your heart good things. Let me encourage you to do that. Okay. Then we've got to set our minds on things above because our hearts might be to do with affections, desires, but our minds are so powerful. Like what we think about, so powerful to, for defining how we live our lives. We've heard that we've been raised with Christ. The logical thing to do on the back of that is therefore to set our minds 
on things above. If we've been raised with Christ and we're seated with him in heavenly places and that one day we'll all receive resurrected bodies and go and be with Christ forevermore, well, it makes sense to think about that stuff <laughs> a lot, more than we do. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, the kids, I'm thinking about the family, I'm thinking about the finances, I'm thinking about just menial stuff. I'm just getting caught up. I, I could do with spending much more time thinking about Jesus. Because then all of that other stuff just comes into perspective. You know, I can be patient, more patient with the kids if I've got this bigger perspective. I can help them with their worries, their challenges, because I've got a bigger perspective. I'm thinking more broadly. Christ calls us to transform our minds through his word. We read that in Romans 12 about the renewing of our mind, that we do actually need to have our minds renewed and that we need to be active in that process. So just three quick ways uh, before we finish uh, that we can take some intentional action to set our minds on things above. The first way is to take every thought captive. We get that language from 2 Corinthians 10. says that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So in that verse, I just think of some SAS person just going in and taking like just just being really active and diligent and like no messing around taking someone captive and just getting the job done there's no messing around taking them captive it's active and we would do well to do that with our thought life to identify what are those thoughts that are not helping us follow Jesus What thoughts are not stoking our affections for Christ and our love for other people? Take those thoughts captive. Put them to death. Don't give them any air. Suffocate them. Put them to death. In one sense, that empties our mind. We need to go about as well feeding our mind with truth. I've recently been getting into baking bread. Any other bread baker who's baked, who's baked a loaf of bread before? Come on, yeah, brilliant. I've been really, really enjoying this um, and uh, loving it. But I've, I've also been baking some sourdough bread, and that's not been as successful. Okay, I've done three loaves and hit and miss. Um, but with, with, a, with sourdough bread, you have this yeast starter, okay, and you just keep it going. Just keep it going. Keep feeding it, okay? Keep feeding it. You've just got to keep it alive. It's a live yeast. The more you feed it, the bigger it gets, okay? Our mind, think of your mind like a, this sourdough yeast starter, okay? Stick with me. You've got to feed your mind. You've got to feed your mind for it to grow, but you've got to feed it the right stuff. You've got to feed it good stuff. And that's what we're encouraged to do. Set our minds on things above. Feed your mind with the truth. Just daily reminders. You know, there's a verse uh, that we read uh, there um, in Colossians 3 about our life being hidden with Christ in God. A simple verse. Just keep 
you know, in your time with Jesus or as you go about your day, remind yourself of that truth. You're hidden with Christ in God. You hear some bad news. I'm hidden with Christ in God. You're tempted to react to a situation. I'm hidden with Christ in God. It's feeding your mind with truth. It's so, so powerful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. And thirdly, we've got to put in the hard work. It's an active deal. Learning new thought patterns does take time and energy. Learning to drive. If you can remember back to that, it was half my life ago that I learned to drive. Thinking back to that just took a huge amount of energy, concentration, focus, learning. I can remember that first time driving around a roundabout far too fast, you know, <laughs> just, just like slightly out of control. Um, but it took a huge amount of effort and energy. To learn new thought patterns does take time and energy. Okay? I just want to encourage you in that, that it's worth it. Fill your mind with truth. Learn new thought patterns. Through God's grace, through discipline, we can actually renew our minds. We can renew our minds. These are some wonderful truths. Let me read the verses out again. Let's stand. We're going we're gonna to respond. Johnny, if you're happy... Coming up. We asked the question at the start, who are you? Who are you? If you're a follower of Jesus, you are Christ's, you are his children, you are raised with him. That is who you are. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus, we thank you so much that you died for us, you rose again to new life, and that you've included us in that. That we've been adopted, we've been welcomed in. That we died with you and we've been raised with you. We are seated in heavenly places. Father, I pray, help us to live that out. Help us to set our hearts on things above, on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We, we, Lord, we, we don't want to get caught up in, in menial things. Lord, we want to set our hearts and our minds on you, Jesus. And I pray for those amongst us who are finding life hard. It's just, just so, maybe just a, a difficult situation, health thing, financial thing. Uh, Lord, lack of sleep. Lord, I pray, help us set our hearts and minds on you, Jesus. You're the one who brings life. You're the one who brings order. You're the one who brings hope. 
Lord Jesus, help us live for you, we pray in Jesus' name.